When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Counterpunch Podcast here at Cracked Rackets. I'm your host, Richard, as always, joined by my co-host, Archit Suresh. It's been a while since we've sat down to do one of these, but our schedules have aligned again, so we're very glad to be back here chatting some more pro tennis for you. Archit, how you doing? Richard, I'm doing fantastic. It has indeed been a while since the last time we got to do this, but you know what? What better way to start than with the tennis offseason? I'm getting ready to go. Yeah, six weeks of no tennis, which uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough one. Uh, after wh- however how long uh, we have tennis every single week, it's gonna be weird to not have tennis for a while. But we're here to fill that gap of time, and it starts with our ATP year in review episode. Um, come back next week, we will have a WTA one. But today we're gonna focus on the men's tour with. Some outlooks with some awards, but we're going to start off with a general conversation on the year itself, right? So, Archit, let's get some first thoughts about the year. Um, Where is the ATP now? Well, I think it's it's generally generally a good place. I think there's an interesting mix of intrigue at the top of the men's game while also, you know, I think what we've seen this year has been a solidified position of the tier one guys, whether it's whether it's a Novak, whether an Akaraz or a Medvedev. I think if you're looking at those guys, you're thinking, okay, tier one is clearly better than the rest of the ATP field. But then you look past it and it's just, it's hard to discern where everyone else is relative to their peers. And you just start to wonder who are the guys who can make a leap into tier one next year? Who, if any, are the guys who may slow down out of tier one? Will Novak Djokovic specifically ever slow down considering it's his age 36 season and he somehow won three slams and an ATP tour finals? Those are the questions for me that are most intriguing. How are the young guns going to do next year? Do we see another leap from a guy like Holger Runa, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz, even a Ben Shelton? To me, those are the most intriguing aspects of what might what we might see next year. But I think overall this year, we've gotten a good mix of success for younger guys at the tour level while still maintaining you know, status quo at the top of the game, and especially when it comes to the slams. What about you? Yeah, I mean, did uh, like not to repeat everything, but like ditto to what you said. I mean, it's in a very interesting spot. I agree that there's a tier one, but I think what's the most fun about it to me is that if the last two weeks are any proof, it's that these tier one guys, while they may be on a tier of their own, they're not unbeatable, right? And anybody can sneak in and take it away. And once you have that one moment where somebody you know can take it, then you then it gets really interesting because like you said once it gets past that like kind of elite you know top three or however many we want to put up there 
it really becomes a lot more of an open field because then it's just about who's playing right on the right day, you know. And we saw it with, you know, when when Yannick beat Novak and you see it throughout the year as, you know, these guys go down. Once, once, I mean, honestly, once Novak goes, the field opens up tremendously. And I think that brings up the second question that we've got is, where do we stand in terms of Novak versus the field? Yeah, well, I think that is the question, and that's been the defining question for men's tennis in the better half of this past decade, right? And I guess what you could argue is, is Novak going to slow down or is the rest of the field going to catch up to him? Because in my mind, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I think at some point, we are going to see Novak Djokovic slow down to a level where a select few and we've, we're already starting to see it, but a select few of guys like an Alcaraz or a Medvedev or a Sinner are going to f- you know, figure out ways to start beating him, not consistently, but more often than what, they are, what they're doing right now. But I, uh, this is an interesting question, though. Where does this year rank for you amongst Novak Djokovic's, Novak Djokovic's career and his accomplishments? Because for me, right, it's... This has got to be one of the best. It's one of the best. I'm not ready to put it at the best because for no. me, like he's clearly established a level. I, I think to, back to years like 2011, 2015. Maybe I was going to say 2011 is high up there for me. 2011, 2015, maybe even 2021 with what he did that year being one match away from the calendar slam, right? Like to me, those are some of the highest peaks that we've seen from Djokovic, but Barring those years, I don't know if you can say he's had a less successful year than any of the other years he's had in his career this year. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is that even at, you know, 36 years old, he's looking at next season and he's very out been outwardly, you know, been he's been very outspoken on that he wants the Golden Slam next year. Um, he's been very adamant that that's what he wants next year is all four plus that elusive golden medal. Um, I don't know. It's, it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but I think a point that you made that was, you know, really crucial here is that these guys like an Alcaraz or a center are finding those ways to beat him on those big stages, which has been a trouble point for a lot of people in the past. Right. And there's only a handful of guys that have been able to take down Novak in those big moments so it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do next year. I definitely agree this is going to be one of his one of his best seasons. But to me it's still 2011 is still up there. I agree 2015 was a really good one. But yeah, I think 2011 is one of the greatest seasons of tennis we've seen. Yeah, I agree. I'm I am curious though is to you is the is Djokovic winning three slams this year and a everything else that he's won at tour level? Paris Masters, ATP Tour, ATP tour Finals, all of that. And him clinching year-end world number one for a record, what, eighth time this year or seventh time? Oh, God knows. Um, I believe it's eight, but Seventh. Seventh, okay. Seventh time surpassing Pete Sampras and Federer. To me... I this is a question that I'm posing to you is is the delta between 
the him and the rest of the field more of an indictment on the rest of the field or a general what's the word I'm looking for a general validation of what Novak Djokovic brings to the table and his place in the game and its history I think I forgot who said it I I it might have been Boris Becker Somebody recently said that now when you talk about Novak Djokovic, you cannot speak to him in terms of the goat of tennis. He has now surpassed to a level of, is he one of the greatest athletes of all time? And I will fully admit to that. And I will fully like, you know, agree to that statement. We like, he is now part of a conversation, in my opinion, of one of the the greatest athletes of all time. What he has done throughout his career and his longevity, the fact that he's able to win so many slams over such a long period of time has to be a testament to him and his determination. Um, I think what makes it really different for us is be- when we look at him is because typically 36 players are on their, you know, they're, you know, one foot out the door. They're starting to head out. You know, Roger was... 41 when he retired i want to say like early 40s 40 if not 40 40. exactly um but you're looking at i feel like this like sport as a whole is changing where you have older players like messi and ronaldo are still playing for christ's sake and like they're around that same age of like mid to late 30s where guys like lebron james exactly 39 in In the past where like players at that age would have already been retired you have players retiring at 29, 30, and then you've got Novak still being one of the most dominant, you know, players in his sport at 36. So I think that's another factor that I think makes it much more like impressive to us as sports fans, just because we're not used to seeing someone play this freaking well at this age. But I just it, it's different. I think it's something else. I just think Novak is something else. I think at the same time, though, when you go back to your question, because I kind of tangented a little bit, is it on the field? Is it on him? What is it? To me, it's just I think Novak is a once in a once in a lifetime type of athlete. Like we need to as, as frustrating as it is sometimes to watch him keep winning and winning and winning. We also need to be very grateful because we're watching one of the greatest runs, honestly, in sports. And, you know, every generation gets their own. And I think ours, one of ours is going to be Novak Djokovic. And, you know, say what you will about him off the court, but you cannot disagree with the facts from on the court. He's been dominant and it's been so impressive to watch. Um, I'm excited to see where this goes. Who knows? I what I'm what I'm personally curious about is knowing his ego. Is he more willing to retire on a high, or is he going to let himself fall? Well, I don't. I don't know if it's ego more such as a self confidence. I just don't know if there's a better word than ego. Like maybe ego is not the best word, but I don't know if there's a better word for it. Then I think I think it's more of a a self confidence or. or the le- I think it's just the level of self-belief that he has in himself. Yeah. I, first of all, why shouldn't he have that level? True. <laughs> right? Because given everything that he's done, has he, you know, decided that it's time to turn it down? I don't think so. Like, 
I think, and this is what he's said and what all the general kind of what the attitude of himself and his team has pointed to over the course of the past 18 months or so is that Novak's not going to try and slow down anytime soon. And as long as he can still compete for the biggest titles in the world, he's going to keep doing so. And I think one thing that really has um, aided him in that has been kind of the rise of a guy like Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner, and Holger Runa. These young guys, I think, I think Djokovic does kind of find extra motivation in proving that he is still better than those guys at his age. I think he... To me, the, the only person who I've ever seen compete at a level like this at the best of the best. Now, I'm not saying that Federer's quality was better than Novak's was at this time, but I think Federer at the age of 36 was winning to this level and had the extent. He wasn't as dominant, don't get me wrong, but it'll be interesting to see if Djokovic, you know, can stay healthy because near the end of Federer's career, there were years in which he started to fade, right? You think post 2019, he didn't, he couldn't really string together a successful full year without getting his body hurt. Right. I think that's the biggest question mark, but I think at the other end of it, it's, are there going to be dips in motivation and are there going to be, is the Alcaraz Djokovic rivalry going to motivate him enough? Is the Sinner Djokovic rivalry going to motivate him enough for guys who are coming and nipping at his heels, trying to secure their first slam, right? There's all this talk about, oh, this era is going to be way more wide open now that the big three are gone. Is Djokovic going to feel an extra need to kind of prove that he's still on top until he inevitably declines, if he does? Then let me ask the question, because I think you bring up an interesting point with like a Federer at 36. And I agree, Federer was still great at 36. But I think what detracted from it was the fact that you had a Rafa Nadal that was not stopping. You had a Novak Djokovic that was not stopping. And you had this upcoming crop of guys that was beating them in big moments. Dami Team beat them in big moments. Medvedev beat them in big moments. You had this upcoming group of guys that was beating them, at, like I said, in these really like high-pressure, high-intensity you know, matches. The question is, I think... That's the difference to me is that now you're looking at Novak. Team is not in the picture. I think Team would be a big player if he had not if he had not had that wrist injury. Um, Zverev next. Medvedev is still there, nipping at his heels. Now you have Carlos Alcaraz, who is very young. What twenty one? Yeah, twenty twenty twenty. Turns twenty one next year. Yeah, sorry, I forgot that he's same year as me I kind of that kind of makes me want to puke um but now you have Carlos who's really young and is starting to get and is you can see him getting to that point where he's starting to understand the Novak patterns and he's starting to understand how you can build a game that can beat Novak right and you're starting to see that develop Yannick Sinner over the last two weeks you're starting to see that develop I think if if to just to make it crystal clear flat out i think the main difference here is that roger already had guys nipping at his heels at 36 that were that understood how to take him down that well, had, Djokovic was you know, Djokovic was still the dominant force in the sport uh, in 2019 2018 yeah. well but you back look end at, of 2018 but you look at but. this situation i think to me it's a the reason why it's not more level is just because you have the top guys besides novak don't have enough experience 
Like, they've been on tour for two or three years, and they're building it, and you saw it this year. This year was their breakout year to me, where you saw them really understand what it takes to beat Novak Djokovic, and what it takes to be at the top of the game. And that's what you saw from Carlos this year to me. I think the U.S. Open last year was a huge stepping stone, and then this year he just ramped it up and went for it. And it was great. And I think that's something to expect next year, is them to, con- to continue that understanding of what it takes to be at the top of this sport, what it takes to, you know, defeat the big boss of Novak Djokovic. It's like he's like a goddamn video game. Like it's, <laughs> he's like a video game. It's it's the boss that you continue to train and train and train, and then you can finally fight him and beat him, right? And so, as they gain that understanding, I think it's going to become more level and more interesting. So. It's going to be interesting to me to see what Novak's, you know, he wants the Golden Slam. What is he going to get? When we're sitting in these chairs in a year, are we going to be saying Novak Djokovic, you know, Golden Slam winner? Or are we going to be saying, like, what are we going to be saying is what's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've put it pretty plainly so far. It's it's Novak versus the field right now. And We'll see what happens first. Does Novak slow down or does the field catch up? And at what point does that happen? Is it next year? Is it two years from now? Is it five years from now? Right? We'll see. Yeah, 100%. So after that long conversation, now we've got... We've got Novak done. Let's talk about the rest of the field, I guess. Let's talk about the rest of the field. Um, You mentioned the tiers, and this is something that we had plan kind of pre um, recording was tiers are there you know is there we we already mentioned there's a tier a is there anyone you would add to that tier a and then beyond that who's you know are there clear tiers are they not as clear as people may think they are well i think to me there is a clear gap in talent from I think the way that I've seen it throughout the course of this entire year is that Djokovic, Alcaraz, and Medvedev have been far and away better than everyone else on tour. Yannick Sinner has been closer to them than he has been to the rest of the field. He's in that weird, like, limbo. He He's in, as what I like to call it, the Andy Murray zone, right? Where he's clearly the best Fair player play. in the world ahead yeah. of everyone else. There are a few guys who, you know, have maybe done it at a slam or have proved their credentials maybe a little earlier than Yannick Sinner has. What I what the question I want to pose to you is two months ago, I would have said, yeah, Yannick Sinner is a tier one B guy. You know? One A, I got Djokovic, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sinner one B, and then everybody else starts tier two. Has Sinner, in your mind, done enough over the course of the past month or two to be considered a tier one contender for the biggest titles in the world this time next year? I am still kind of reveling over the fact that we're still putting Medvedev in that 1A uh, based on how the last two months have gone. Um, I think, okay, to, to just go back on track, I do think... To me, I'm hesitant to say yes because we've seen players go on a two-week stint of like being really, really, really hot and then they just drop it off. 
to me, what I what I've seen over the last month from Yannick Center is enough for me to consider him to move up to your one A. I think when we sit down here in a few months, he's gonna be a contender for you know one thousands titles. I think deep runs and slams. I think I don't want to say a slam title. <laughs> I don't want to be that bold. Um, because like, because I think there still is a little bit of a level gap between him and then, you know, Alcaraz and Novak. Um, but I think he's getting there. He's a hundred percent getting there and he's improved leaps and bounds in the last month. And I'm ready to see what comes next. Cause it looks really good. Let's throw it right back to you. Let's, what, what do you think? I, me personally, I think, I think he has done enough to be considered a tier one player because the, I guess, I don't know the way I see it is he's a tier one player everywhere else. And then the moment he has a, a breaking, I I guess a breakthrough, a coming out party at a slam. I feel like he's already had it, seeing as he's reached the semifinals of the slam. He's had titanic battles with a guy like Carlos Alcaraz. To me, if he beats one of Medvedev or Djokovic in a slam, and odds are it'll happen in a semifinal or a final because that's just the way the seedings work. If if one of two things. If Sinner makes a slam final sometime next year, and if he gets to a semifinal, he's automatically in that tier one for me. I'm ready to put him there because I do believe that at some point he it's going to happen and he has the level to make it happen sometime next year. It's going to happen. I think it's a question of when. Exactly. And when that breakthrough happens, but I'm, I'm comfortable putting him in that tier one category because to me, tier, tier two defines you as you are a top player elite at what you do you could probably win a masters 1000 you go deep at slams you know you and you're just ahead of that bringing point but are you a title contender contender week in week out for the biggest titles in the world right and to me the guys in tier two are guys like holger runa zverev city pass casper rublev yeah casper that crew is is that a, is that a fair assumption yeah, because I still put Sinner above them in level. I think, I think on his day he's still. I think, I think in my opinion, Sinner on his day beats that two tier on their day. If that makes sense, I still think that there's a level up, but it's not quite there yet. So I'm with you there. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that's beaten Novak Djokovic twice in two weeks. I was gonna if say I, like, I don't think I. I mean, I can't remember the last time that someone's beaten Novak twice in two weeks and. Has he has Damn. he won his last three against Medvedev? And I think almost all of them have been in finals or semifinals. Like he's completely turned that head to head around. He's one of the only guys on tour outside of Djokovic and Medvedev who consistently gives Alcaraz problems, right? And I mean, some would say that Alcaraz probably hates that matchup more than any other matchup, game style wise. I know he does love that rivalry, but I, it's clear that. If Sinner can stay healthy and continue to progress both mentally and physically, we're looking at a slam champion. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think anyone's gonna. You know, it's hard to it's hard to disagree with that one. Honestly, it's he's he's proven himself too well, and like you mentioned, like it's hard to 
look at someone who beats Novak Djokovic, who we just had that long, you know, winded rant about twice in two weeks, and then you don't consider him a part of that conversation. But I think that takes us into our end of year awards. So we're gonna we're gonna give out some awards, you know. As as we like to do here at CR, apparently. We're gonna start off with our player of the year. Archit, I'll let you go first. Well, I mean, I would like to be a tennis hipster and say, oh, Carlos Alcaraz is the player of the year because he beat Novak Djokovic in a Wimbledon final. But I'm pretty sure if you're saying that you're the player of the year because you beat someone else, that player is the player of the year. So Novak Djokovic is my player of the year, wins three slams. What more can you say about him? I think it's just an unreal level that he just... It's it's incredible that he continues to possess that high of a level and is able to be so malleable in how he adapts his game and continues to really just reinvent himself in his mid to late 30s. Novak Djokovic is your player of the year. Next question. I, I, I fully agree. I think for me, what I will say to give an honorable mention to Alcaraz, it is going to be kind of a repetition of what I said earlier. I think this year we saw an Alcaraz that we didn't we haven't seen before. I think last year Carlos, you know, 2022 Carlos was, you know, the maturing, the growing, the welcome to the top, you know, mentality of like you know, I'm starting to get that recognition and he's starting to, you know, break through. Like last year was the breakthrough year. This year was the solidifier. This was the year that he really, I think, I, I'm pretty sure we had a conversation about this, or I at some point had this conversation where it was like, it's great that Carlos won the U.S. Open. What does he do with it? You know, what does he, what does he take with it? Does he grow from it? You know, does he, he's now going to be in the top, whatever, top three in the world. How does he take on that role? Is he going to live up to it? Is he going to drop the ball? And this year he proved 100% that he earned that title and he earned that ranking spot. Um, so I definitely think there's a lot of props to go there, but I agree. Novak, for all the reasons you listed, three slams in a year plus a final, way too good. All right, we're going to move on to doubles team of the year. And I believe you have your pick. I will let you go first as I am, <laughs> as I as I aim to make a final call. Okay, well, I think for me personally, I would have to go with Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. And you could argue that they may not have had the most success out of anybody on yeah. the doubles tour week in, week out from the start of the year to the end of the year. But to me, they've displayed the highest level of the year and have finished the year as unequivocally the best team in the year. And to me, that's what matters. St- starting with their... Uh, back-to-back titles at the ATP Finals, right? Won 10 straight matches in Palo Alto, right? 20-16 and 16 record heading into the U.S. Open. Not particularly great. They were sitting at 16 in the live rankings, but now finished the year at 3 in the live rankings after going 17-2 and two to end the year, as well as 3-peating at the U.S. Open. They just continue to be exceptional, I think. To me, they I think they may not be the two best individual doubles player, but you can't deny that they are, well, in my mind, you can't deny that they are the best doubles team in terms of their chemistry and the way they play and how well they fit together. 
So I'm going to go with Rajiv Rum and Joe Salisbury. Uh, I'm going to preface here and I'm going to say, I think something that's very important to note here is how like underratedly good the doubles tour was this year. You know, I was looking at it earlier. Every, you know, slam final had two different teams. Not a single team made it to two slam finals. Um, To me, that just speaks volumes to, like, how much fun watching doubles is. And to everybody that is complaining about how, you know, one-sided the singles tours might be, this should be your sign to go watch some goddamn doubles. These guys, like, they show up and they show out week in and week out. And, you know, I don't think they get enough credit for how entertaining they are and how, you know, good they are, genuinely. Um, I'm gonna... It's it's really hard to pick. I, you know, in an interest of not doing the same thing as, as Archit, um, I think I'm gonna go with Yvonne Dodig and, and, uh, and Austin Krychek. Um, I think this is a great year for them, a bit of a breakout year for them. Um, as a pair, uh, we all know how good Ivan Dodig is. Um, same goes for Austin Krychek, but this was such a breakout year for Austin. Um, they, uh, they won the French open. They won a masters 1000 along with three other 500s. This is a really great year for them. And then the end year end world number ones. Um, it was a great year for them. And yeah, I don't, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know what else I got. Again, it's it's hard when you have such an open and entertaining field. Yeah, I'm with you. You can't really go wrong putting the number one team in the world <laughs> as your best team of the year. So why don't we go ahead and move on to the next category? Next category is coach of the year. Um, man, this this one, you know what? I'm gonna I'll let you go. Go for it. I think we both have well, the I'm same gonna... one though. Well, I'm going to go with Darren Cahill, right? Coach of Yannick Sinner, the Australian, coached countless slam champions, whether it's Simona Halep, right? Coach Andre Agassi for a little bit, just a phenomenal coach in his own right, established. And I think he was just what Sinner needed. You know, someone who understands Sinner both as a person and a player and has really brought out the the nuances to Sinner's game that I think have really helped, has helped kind of develop Sinner into the kind of player who is continuously improving. I think he, I think the approach game, the, his ability to really hang in points and utilize his ability to slide in and out of corners really well. I think that's helped him. His movement on the grass has improved tremendously, whether it's, you know, this is a guy who can really do it all from the back of the court and, Again, some of the things, Yannick Sinner's racket head speed and his ability to hit running forehands, you can't really teach that. That's just what it is. But I think what has really helped is Darren Cahill both giving Sinner the mental confidence and the confidence in his game to really say, no, I am an established top player and I can beat anybody if I'm on my day. And I think we're just going to continue to see him evolve under Darren Cahill. And to me, that is the best partnership excuse me, partnership on the ATP tour. Ditto. 
honestly, there's not much you can say. It's it's hard to argue, especially given the results the results from the last month. It's really hard to argue with how good Yannick has been and how much he's grown under um, the wing of Darren Cahill and all the experience that he brings in. I think there's a lot of honorable mentions that I'm just going to throw out into the world because I think they deserve it. Um, obviously, Goran Ivanisevic um, for Novak, even though I, I think, controversial or not, I think the question needs to be asked, does, does Novak really need it? <laughs> I I still ask myself that question when I realize that, when I think about it and realize that he has a coach. Um the duo of Paul Anacone and Michael Russell in Taylor Fritz's corner um, deserves a shout-out for the growth that Taylor's had this year. Um, for Sabi Corda's team, outside of Petter Corda, um, to also call out uh, Dean Goldfine, um, another great uh, tennis coach um, that deserves some credit. Uh, I've got There's, one. I mean, Alberto Martin for Andre Rublev. Um, his first year with Rublev has really, I think, in my mind, helped on the emotional side of things. Has helped. You can clearly see that there's yeah. been a almost a a sense of real growth and maturity from Rublev. You see it in the results. Back to a career high, world number five, wins Masters one thousand in Monte Carlo. Cons- back to his consistent week to week results. Quarterfinals at every Slam this year, or I know he's lost to Djokovic at. Wimbledon quarters, Australian Open quarters. I know he's lost in the quarters of the U.S. Open as well, so I don't, I'm not sure about the French Open, though. That is one that I do have concerns about. But back to the point, sorry, yeah. listeners. <laughs> Andre Rublev, I think whether it's the emotional side, I think it's also, I think, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like Andre Rublev's backhand has really improved. Yeah. In terms of, it's definitely more hands Right, like I think he is doing a much better job of getting back to neutral when he's pushed to his backhand side and is really comfortable stepping in and redirecting it to the line. And I think, I don't know if that can be attributed all to Alberto Martin, but I think, you know, Rublev has shown really impressive strides and has, you know, continuously improved. And this is someone who is very beloved amongst fans and players alike. So it's always good to see Andre Rublev playing well, and I think Alberto Martinez has really been a key factor in that. Yeah, and then there's one last one that I wanted to throw out there is Brad Stein, uh, who's working with Tommy Paul. Um, I think another huge improvement that we've seen, um, we talked extensively about um, where American tennis is and how much it's improved and evolved and, and evolved this year. And Tommy Paul's a huge part of that and definitely the improvements that he's made under Brad Stein for sure. Um, with that said, most improved. I just mentioned, uh, you know, the improvements that the Americans have made. So let's go right into most improved player. Um, Archie, I'll throw it over to you. Well, most improved player. You know, I'm going to have to go with I it's kind of a cop out for me to say Yannick Sanders to be honest but I I you, actually here's one I'll give I really do think Daniil Medvedev has really improved but I don't know if he's improved f- as a baseline from what his performances have been since say your 2019 but I think if you look back to last year and where he was 
I think there have been real improvements made to the forehand and the ability to hit through that and defend well from that. He's countered the serve and volley well with that forehand return. There's still a pathway to beating him, but it's just been that much harder for people to execute against him. And only really the best of the best in the world have been able to do that. I'd like to say Daniel Medvedev. Some other names here. I do think... I do. I th- actually, Tommy Paul might be. I was just saying, I was going to throw a few to Tommy, the Americans. Yeah. Tommy Paul is definitely up there. I Tommy think Paul or his, Ben Shelton would to, be the one. To me, me, I think um, the only reason why I'm not going to say Ben is because I think there's a different category that fits him that we both have him yes. pretty much set for. And I think it's for me, it's Tommy Paul on the basis of you look at where he was last year compared to this year. I think you're seeing a lot of improvements on. Um, in his offensive game, um, his aggression level when he is confident and, and in those big moments, he's been really good under pressure. Um, I also think his movement has improved a lot. Um, I think he's, I don't know, just in general has been a lot faster, a lot better re- with reaction times, and um, we both know how important that is. Um, and then ground strokes, 100%, I think also have improved a lot. A lot more penetrating, um, have, has been a lot more consistent in rallies. Um, everything that contributes to, you know, the success that we saw from him this year. Um, anything to add before we move on? That's it for me. Then breakout player, which is <laughs> exactly what I was alluding to. Yeah, I mean, we're both gonna have say to it. say it's three, ben two, yeah, it's Ben Shelton. It's Ben Shelton. I don't, I don't think there's an, I don't think like it's. I don't think it's the thing is, is I don't think it's easier to make an argument for somebody else just because I think the thing is, um, we were discussing what constitutes a breakout player. And to me, it's someone that was not on your radar last year, you know, was outside of, you know, a certain, you know, ranking threshold or whatever, but somebody that wasn't on people's radars that is now. And, you know, like it's just like a jump in results and has really you know like last year you could have called it Carlos Alcaraz for example like to me this year is Ben Shelton you look at what quarterfinals at the Australian Open semifinals at the US you can have your questions and your doubts about his clay court ability and his grass ability but let's be real here people how many times has this boy played on either of those surfaces before um He's just been so impressive and so good and has been such a fun face for American men's tennis. And the results definitely speak for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. It's been like... I don't think we realize how preposterous it is that two years ago, this is a guy that was playing five in the Florida men's singles lineup. Yep. Right? Like... It's at, and like flash forward two years now, he's a top twenty player who has. It, it's unreal. He's that done ben, in one year what it takes most players like five to do. Some players it takes them a lifetime. Yeah, but I, I think it it is unreal to me that if you had told me at the start of this year that with two weeks left in the season, Ben still had a chance to make Turin. He had a chance to make the year-end championships, which to me is probably the most impressive thing that an American man did this year. 
that is just, I mean, we talk about the semifinal or the quarterfinal run at the Australian Open, the semifinal run at the U.S. Open where he beats, you know, Tiafo and Tommy Paul back to back and then gets under Novak Djokovic's skin. Didn't really, that match was never really competitive, <laughs> but, you know, he, he did bother Novak a little bit. Um, but to me, like, what, we talk about those, right? But to me, it's the week-to-week success that he was able to carry forward from that U.S. Open that really impressed me. I, he got a he went he beat Yannick Sinner. What are we doing here? Like he's the breakthrough <laughs> player of the year. It's Ben Shelton. Nothing else. I yeah. Point blank. Period. The next one that we have here is match of the year. Let's 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 aim here to not be. <laughs> regular smegular we're gonna i think i think there's a universal answer of like what has been you know you know super entertaining and what was really really great and you can obviously point to that um wimbledon final right of carlos versus novak but i think there's also been a like a handful of matches that were also really really great yeah why don't we do this? Why don't we give our matches of the year, excluding that Alcaraz Djokovic semifinal? Yeah. Which to me, yes, it does. It does feel a little unfair. I know that we're adding these caveats, but you know what? It's our show. We get what? to make the rules. Also, so. wouldn't it be so boring if we had to sit? If you guys had to listen to us talk about that Wimbledon final again? Yeah. You know, what? I'll let I'll let you go first. Are you going to go with the Alcaraz Djokovic Cincinnati final? <laughs> no, I was going to let you take that one. I I I've got my eyes on a few others. Um I think Ben Shelton versus Francis Tiafo US Open quarterfinals. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm I'm seeing your face and that's exactly the reaction I was hoping for. I'm sorry. No. Because I'm, I'm fully joking. I so just wanted to see your okay. face. Okay. I so because... just wanted to see your reaction. I because swear to no, God, I yes, I'm so glad the, we have this recording because you look like you were sucking on a lemon. Oh my yes, God, that was great. The, the drama and the <laughs> occasion and what it meant for American men's okay. tennis and what it meant for Ben. Yes. I used it. I used but it as a joke. Of that but let me was, okay. I used it fully as a joke, but let me just give it the flowers it deserves. I think it was a very high level match, and it was great to show off where we have progressed in terms of American men's tennis. It has been such a like sore subject for a while. I think it was a good moment for American fans to have that moment. Um, with that said, that is a million percent yes. not the pick. I 100% <laughs> agree. But that, to me, that match it, at best can be described as great. <laughs> F- fair enough. As I continue to, to scour for my answer, I'm going to let you go off a little bit on that since okay. that since well, I well, I wasn't going to go with the Cincy final because I thought you oh. were going to take it. So <laughs> I'm going to go with what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with Andy Murray versus Tanasi Kokonakis in that okay. thriller of an Australian open second round match. Yeah. Wild to think that that was this year. It feels like we've come so far from then, but I'm sorry, like Andy Murray winning that match at 3 a.m. in with a metal hip and being down 5-2 match point in the third set after losing the first two sets, coming back to win that match. And 
what was I think eight minutes shy of the longest Australian Open match in the Open era. Incredible. You do feel for Thanasi Kokonakis, but to me that was a storyline that when you point to what Murray has done post hip surgery, I think those are the storylines that you're going to point to. And those are the matches that, you know, that will just solidify and validate every single thing that he's done post surgery. And yeah, to me that, that was my personal favorite match of the year. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know if there's a better match of the year. I think, a fun little poll that I might just throw out here. You know what? Screw it. Let's let's pull it out of nowhere. Uh, Daniel Medvedev versus Chris Eubanks, Wimbledon quarters. Uh, absolute stonker of a five setter. I think it was a great match. I don't think it was. <laughs> it's it's hard to say it as the best match, but I think barring the Wimbledon final, I think it was one of my favorite matches to watch. I think it was super fun to watch. Um, I think there's a kind of a bias trend that has been completely un, you know, unplanned. But I think it was really fun to watch. A Daniel Medvedev, a guy who we know grass is not, you know, you know, favorite surface number one, you know, really shine and do as well as he did at Wimbledon this year. And then you look across the net and you see Chris Eubanks, and I think this this speaks volumes to me being a journalist and enjoying the moments, <laughs> and not in, you know, and and being a guy that really loves the the hallmark moments. But yeah. no, I think it was a great match. You're a storylines guy. It was a, it was it was we'll a, it. it was a match at a really really great level, and I don't know what else I was going to say if it wasn't going to be that match. I mean, there's, I, I mean, I'm trying to think. There, it, it's hard to pull something out of your butt, but you know. Yeah. I mean, a, a couple more, you know, honorable mentions, I guess, would be that Alcaraz Djokovic Cincinnati final. In my opinion, probably the highest quality match of the year. Uh, Djokovic center, even though that's recency bias from the first from the round robin yes. match at the ATP finals, that was a great one. Screw and recency honestly, bias. It was just a great match. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and honestly, jo- Alcaraz center. I think it was. Miami, where Sinner beat Alcaraz in that three-setter, and then... Oh, I'm going to be a jerk. I'm going to throw another one out there. Go um, ahead. Go ahead. Her catch Korda. Fourth round of the Australian Open. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. I loved that match as a lover of great backhands. I, di- I did love that match. <laughs> the, one ca- the one complaint yeah. I have yeah. is that if Seb Korda gets injured during that match, can we... Oh, wait. Wait, no, he got injured during the Hatchinoff match, didn't he? No, it was so the he, match yeah, after. You know, it was a match after, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got, he got, yeah, yeah. He got so, injured you know during the match and then retired, yeah. Okay, well, I'll give you that pass. I think I think it was a great match. I think it was the start of the pain, if anything. Like, like injury-wise, it may have been the first indicator. Um, but it was a super high-level match from both of those guys, and it's some of the best tennis we had seen from both of them. Yeah, I agree. To wrap things uh, up, let's, we, yeah, let's, why don't we rapid fire yeah. through the rest? Let's let's just rapid fire the last question that we've got here is best rivalry. I'm gonna have to rapid fire through that one. Okay, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll go. I'll go Djokovic Alcaraz. To me, I'll, that was the matchup yeah. that everybody was looking forward to. So Djokovic yeah, Alcaraz. especially given where you know what we had gotten in years prior, everybody was really excited to see what happened now. And now that Carlos understood Novak's game a lot better, it was a lot more entertaining. 
All right. Well, that's all the time as we rapid-fired through that one. uh, That's all the time we have on this week's episode of the Counterpunch Podcast. We're glad to be back with you guys. Uh, We hope you guys are are glad to have us back. Um, So, yeah. We will have a WTA version of this next week. And then what we do throughout the break? TBD. You'll find out. You know, have fun. Keep it a mystery. But with that said, that's all the time we've got on this week's episode. Goodbye.